Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And we are recording at the later time of Thursday night so that we can bring you reaction to the biggest game of the season so far in the Premier League. The Champions versus the League Leaders. Alongside me in the studio, we welcome Alan Smith. Plus down the line, we're joined by Alison Rudd. And from the Etihad, it is Henry Winter. Later on, we'll talk about the lack of silver lining at Everton. Plus, we discuss what's been a busy January for Chelsea. We begin, of course, with another significant swing in the title race. Liverpool would have gone 10 points clear of Manchester City with a victory at the Etihad, but the champions inflicted the first league defeat of the season on Jurgen Klopp's men to reduce the gap at the top of the table to four points. Leroy Sane scoring the winner with 18 minutes to play. Henry, we're so used to seeing City dominate games with their wonderful football, but Vincent Kompany said this performance came from the gut. Well, it did. I think it was totally invited by Bernardo Silva, who ran, my maths is terrible, but he ran about eight and a half miles, which is a phenomenal achievement. And your point about the fact that City usually play with the land and we associate that with Bernardo Silva, but he was almost like a sort of a Cruft-style dog of war. You know, the way he was hunting the ball, the way he was knocking players over, he was just, you know, as Vincent said, you know, it was a performance that, uh, that came from deep within, from from within the, the, the gut, from their desire not to give up their, their title easily. So, uh, yeah, no, formidable performance. And in a way, it shows what a complete team Manchester City are, because we know they can play teams off the park, but they can also go toe-to-toe with them. They look far from defensively solid City, but it was the character of the likes of Company and, and Fernandinho that saw them through. Yeah, I mean, Company was probably fortunate to stay on the pitch. I mean, if you if you leave the ground and you dive into a tackle like he did on Salah, I could understand why um, Jurgen Klopp was... was annoyed afterwards and that would obviously have, have turned the game around quite dramatically but yeah look company was a formidable leader at the back and look, with, with all their problems at left back and Benjamin Mendy being injured they played Laporte there and Laporte and John Stones when they've been together at centre half certainly in the first half of the season it would have been a fantastic combination so he had to break that up but he brought company in there alongside Stones and Laporte went to, to, to left back and he, you know, he did pretty well. He didn't sort of venture too far forward. He just sort of stayed and sort of, you know, held the position and, and, and made sure Salah or whoever was from India, who was ever coming wide, um, would get past him. So, uh, yeah, they were pretty resolute at the back city. Alison, it could have been very different. Liverpool were 11 millimetres away from opening the scoring. John Stones and Edison colliding as the ball cannoned off Stones, who got back to clear. A goal line technology ruling it hadn't crossed the line. It was a game of fine margins. Do you think Jurgen Klopp, though, will take some encouragement from this game, more than we might think? Yeah, I thought he was um, reasonably upbeat afterwards in his post-match chat. 
Um, and you would say he would say that, wouldn't he? But I, I think I think there was a lot as they deconstruct the game. I think he'll find a lot that he can find he liked about it. There were a lot of fine margins. And I, I sort of would like to see um, a parallel universe in which those millimetres went for Liverpool and there had been a red card for Vincent Company. And I, I really do think it was it was more of a red than a yellow. Really do think it was his tackle on Mo Salah. That's another fine margin. The goals scored by City were, were sort of very fine-tuned goals as well. And you see you could call them fine margins as well. So I think if you add them all up, and I think he'll do that, I think he'll say, look, we weren't completely outclassed. This was slightly unlucky, and there's a lot we can take from it. However, the other side of it is I've not seen a City side play like that before, and I've not heard Vincent Company come out with the superlatives post-match before. He said it was the most intense, best game he'd, he'd been part of, and this is a man who's won a lot <laughs> and been through the emotional mill and he was completely buzzing they were a team who knew they were up against the best and they haven't had to do that for a while it's a huge compliment to to Jurgen Klopp's side I think probably that's the thing he'll take away most from it that that City showed them huge respect and put in an absolutely phenomenal effort to beat them one of the big talking points from the game, one that you've already mentioned, Alison, was whether or not company should have stayed on the pitch. Alan, where do you stand on that? I think it should have been a red. The way he lunged in um, and the sort of scissors motion makes that a red card. Um, I don't see why it should only be a yellow. It was clearly dangerous, could have seriously injured Salah. And he's very, very lucky to stay on the pitch. Well, as it is, company did stay on the pitch. Um, but uh, let's let's talk about the first goal that broke the deadlock. Five minutes before half-time, Sergio Aguero scoring in this fixture for the seventh league game in a row at the Etihad. Is there any blame, Alan, that we can attach to, to Lovren or Alisson for it? Um, Alisson, I don't think so. When I saw it the first time, I thought oh, he's been beaten at the near post. That's poor goalkeeping. But you just see the power which Aguero struck the ball you know it's, the reaction time is so minimal um, and the force required with his hand to keep that strike out um, so I wouldn't blame Alisson I think Lovren was just incredibly poor all night really uh, it, you know both goals you could arguably say he was at fault for them um, the biggest error of all was when Sterling hit the post um, or maybe the stanchion late in the second half where he just really cheaply gave the ball away Um of course, people will point to sort of his comments saying, you know, he should be considered among the best defenders in the world. His predictions that Liverpool could go this season unbeaten. And even if you go back to the World Cup when he was sort of boasting about Croatia being able to win the World Cup. And every time he makes one of these statements, it just seems to backfire spectacularly on him. Um, he has been really good throughout the season before tonight. Um, but it was just such a such a bad performance. Mm. But Liverpool did respond in the second half, Alisson. Roberto Firmino with his fourth goal in two games. Some sensational work from both Liverpool fullbacks in the build up to it. Yeah, no, it was it was a very attractive goal and as we've seen with City this season when they have come and stuck it, those cross field floated passes that sort of take out although Digimen that um, are proved so effective. And I did wonder why Liverpool didn't try more of that. They're capable of it, pinging it, you know, from wing to wing, um, being clever. 
Um, and it was it was it was really lovely and so lovely in fact that if you sort of watch it again, those city defenders are almost sort of awestruck, like how you know, sort of, you can see a little bubble coming out of their head saying, How are we supposed to defend against that? It was um it was inch perfect passing, fullback to fullback, as you say. And and Andy Robertson just seems to have made it um you know, a thing of his own this season, this ability to make the right run and then know how to create an opening for a, a forward. He, he's very unselfish and very intuitive. Um, you know, probably probably a player that, that, that Guardiola would love in his team. Um, really, really beautiful goal. But having said that, it, I just I never really felt Liverpool were going to kick on having scored it. It just seemed to really annoy City. And then they sort of seemed to have the... That passion, that initiative, that's that's certain something I've just not seen from them. They, the, the thing is, I think it, it was an inverted day, if you like, inverted evening, because City had all that sort of passion that the underdogs get, and Liverpool were trying to be regal and composed and not get too excitable by the whole occasion. In fact, when they do let rip and let passion take over, sometimes they are in unstoppable they were they were just a, t- a tad restrained I felt Liverpool and Raheem Sterling while well, he took centre stage driving at the Liverpool back line and, and setting up Sane for the winner a big night for him Henry particularly in the absence of Kevin De Bruyne well I thought he was terrific I mean you know De Bruyne was on the bench he could have been brought on with um, Guardiola brought on um, Gundogan in the end uh, which I thought was quite interesting but look De Bruyne is, is, is a fabulous player but look Sterling was was terrific but he was up against one of the best left backs in Europe, in, in Andy Robertson, and they had a real tussle. And Sterling maybe probably did his, his best work when he started cutting inside, certainly for creating Sane's goal. Carl Walker, who was left out by Pep Guardiola for the third game in a row, he hasn't played since uh, City's defeat at home to Palace just before Christmas. And Paul Hurst reports that Pep still hasn't forgiven Walker for his performance in that game, blaming him for the two goals. Uh, Henry, what are the potential England implications, do you think? Well, I think I think the implications are mainly for Manchester City at the moment, and that is Kyle Walker being a, a good professional will show in training uh, how determined he is to get back in that position that he's better than Danilo um, in terms of England. I mean, England is certainly not short of right backs at the moment, so uh, you know I don't, I, that's a problem for, for for February and March, and I don't think it's a particularly huge problem. And I'm sure Kyle Walker will be back playing regularly for Manchester City. Then, I mean, Guardiola may be annoyed at one or two things that have happened. But he also knows the quality of Carl Walker, who's, who's a good pro, and I'm sure he'll give him another chance. And in terms of the title race, Henry, Liverpool have been to the Etihad, Wembley, Stamford Bridge and the Emirates already. They've played City twice. They still find themselves in a great position. They are four points clear after all. Well, they are. And I think what was interesting listening to Jurgen Klopp's interviews afterwards, I mean, he was he was polite. He, he paid due respect to, to Manchester City. He had his little moan about uh, um, Vincent Company, but you could tell underneath that he was just absolutely determined to get back to Melwood to get the players in tomorrow morning or the morning after, um, probably have a much changed team in the cup and just to work on going on another unbeaten run because Klopp is a winner and that he will just drive them on again. Maybe he could have been a little bit more adventurous with his central midfield choices. Maybe he could have made the Shakiri substitution slightly earlier. But uh, look, he's a winner as a, as a manager, just like Guardiola is, just like you couldn't write off Guardiola yesterday, you can't write off Klopp tomorrow. I think in terms of momentum, it could be quite big. Um, people are quite keen to point out that you know Spurs aren't out of it yet, but if you look at sort of 
the remaining fixtures, Spurs obviously have to go to Anfield and to the Etihad, whereas Liverpool and City have both played the big teams away. I think they both need to go to Old Trafford, but apart from that, the rest of their games against the top six are at home, um, which I think is is crucial. In terms of City and Liverpool sort of head-to-head, you can't sort of underrepresent the fact that City have been here before, have this experience, whereas Liverpool... You know, we could, it's easy to go back to sort of the Gerrard slip and things like that. But, you know, psychologically, those issues could still linger despite, you know, a different manager, despite the players being vastly different to past seasons. But I just feel like City, having seen them perform in this manner, they looked kind of, you know, farmer hungry the fight was back and like Alison mentioned a couple of minutes ago they sort of you know this was a different approach they looked different to what they've looked like in the past few seasons and I think it's quite easy to imagine them going on a really really good run of you know seven eight victories in a row and unless Liverpool you know Liverpool need to get back and get back into that groove again because if not that gap could just be completely closed very very quickly. Yeah, Alice, where do you stand on on all of this? I mean, the the psychological side of it is going to be an issue for Liverpool. They haven't been in this position for, for a long time in the sense of being so close to, to running away with, with the league. Are there any concerns about Liverpool heading into the end of this season? Well, I mean, there, there are the obvious concerns that you, you do worry about injury. There's no point worrying about them. You can't do much about it. I, I would be concerned if some of their key players got injured. I just don't feel there is going to be much of a psychological impact from this. It's not as if Liverpool were completely outplayed um, at the Etihad. I, I think it was a huge compliment to them the way that City lifted their game. And I, I think if you go through the rest of the season, how many times are City going to be able to reproduce what they did against Liverpool in games which proved tough? I, I just don't think any team can have that amount of oomph in them and Liverpool I think aren't going to come up against a team capable of doing what City did uh, at the Etihad so I think they, I think they've had the most challenging evening of the season and on yes they didn't they didn't get anything from it but I don't think it would damage them psychologically to know that City gave in Vincent Company's words the best performance in his playing career in order to do that to them. If if you're clever about it, you just make that something which makes you feel even more imperious and more capable of winning the title. I think it also could help that, you know, it's early January. Um, If this was, if tonight had happened in, say, late March and there were six games to go and then I think momentum at that point can have a far bigger effect in terms of City closing the gap and overtaking them. But I think there, there are so many games still left that Liverpool could still have a little blip, pull themselves together and it will be fine. It being early January helps Liverpool quite a bit. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our very own Bill Edgar provides 11 trivia teasers for you and here is one for you on this podcast. Aside from 2013-14, when Manchester City won the title and both teams scored 100 goals, Liverpool and City have only once finished as the top two in the table. That was in 1976-77. Which member of Pep Guardiola's current backroom staff was City's leading goalscorer that season? Mm. Stick around to the end of the podcast to find out the answer.
now across Merseyside, it's not so rosy for Everton right now. Just one win in the last eight for the Toffees. A miserable Christmas period compounded by defeat at home to Leicester on New Year's Day. Paul Joyce wrote for the Times on Wednesday and spoke of Marco Silva as being under pressure. Alison, would you agree with that? Well, I don't think he's in, in imminent danger of being sacked. I don't think there's any appetite for that at the board of Everton. Um, they've they've made mistakes with management and they were hoping, really hoping to get some sort of period of stability. The most interesting thing I thought in Paul Joyce's piece was he said, we just don't know what sort of manager Silver is. And I, I, I think that's right. I think... It, if we're talking about Everton being a team that are trying really hard to break into the top six with the amount of money they've spent, um, their history and their need to, to make a mark on the Premier League at some point, it, most of the managers that are successful in the upper echelons, you know what they stand for, you know what they like, you know the sort of players they go for, you know what systems they prefer. And those managers also have a track record and you can point to where they've done well and done badly and what they've learned along the way. Marco Silva is still a bit of a mystery. Mm-hmm. And so I think he has to prove, A, to the Everton fans that he, he knows what he's doing, to the people who pay his wages that he knows what he's doing. And the players too, I'm not entirely sure they act when they're out on the pitch. I don't think, I don't feel, I look at Everton and I mean, I, could, I can categorise them. They are still a group of individuals that have been assembled somewhat messily over the past couple of seasons. Um, Marco Silva, uh, he meddles with the formation a bit. He, he, he moves things around. Um, I don't, I don't feel I, I know exactly that he, he has confidence in, in the players he, he, he has, and I think don't think he believes he's going to be given much more money to, to meddle and tinker with what he's got. So it's all a bit of a mishmash, and mishmashes don't get you into the top six. Well, you mentioned Paul has written about people not knowing exactly who Silver is. Well, he's been in England for two years. He's taken 74 points from 63 games, doesn't tend to stay anywhere too long. So, Alan, can you understand that there are perhaps doubts about his long-term credentials as yeah. a manager? I think what's going to be different this time is that obviously when he left Watford it was because he'd been courted by Everton whereas now because of Everton's recent run of form you know he's not going to have another club courting him to tempt him away so it'll be interesting to see how it develops when it comes to that but I was looking at this earlier and I think he he'd managed Hull for 20 to 22 games um, a similar amount at Watford and he's at that point with Everton now and I think at all three clubs he's had something like eight league wins um, which is a nice piece of symmetry but he <laughs> he just doesn't know I, I don't think he knows his best team at the minute he's got a lot you know it's a really good squad um, you can look at the bench and you think you know there are quite a few talented players here but what's the best system that suits them and you know if he chooses a system who are the best players, players to fit that Um in terms of their record this season, I think they've really, you know, if they if their long term aim is to break into the top six, it's quite notable that they've taken a point against Chelsea, and apart from that, they've lost every other game against the top six. Um, another big issue is goals. Richarlison and Sigurdsson have scored nine and eight goals respectively, but apart from that, they just don't really have anybody capable of contributing regularly. Well, as 
Written in the Times this week, only Liverpool, Chelsea and the Manchester clubs have spent more over the last three transfer windows than Everton. So seventh, Alison, that has to be the minimum requirement, doesn't it, for them this season? Well, I, th- I do think they'll be lucky to get that, to be quite honest, because I don't. The other problem is I don't. I don't see progression. They are up and down, up and down. They look as capable of losing badly as winning quite well. You, d- I mean, that's just not how you get to minimum requirements of seventh. I agree with you. But, you know, given their spend, they. <laughs> that's what they should be looking at, but they don't. They don't. They're not gelling. They're not gelling, and I. I think you could, I don't know, I just, it sounds harsh, but I'm not even sure that those players are getting better through the season. I've seen Jordan Pickford make more mistakes than I thought he was capable of making. Keane, I, you know, I was never entirely sure he, he was, you know, a top-rated defender. Everyone was sort of, you know, oh my word, everyone's after him. Well, I, I don't think he's progressed enormously at Everton. There were doubts about Mean at Barcelona. I think it's going to take him uh, quite a long time to to reach his full potential. Coleman's getting on a bit. I thought I could go through the team, but I mean, it, I mean, a Walcott, for example. I I I sometimes feel Everton are playing with ten men because he does so little. He has mm-hmm. pace, but he does very little. It, he's it's a, way, a ball to him is often a, a dead end ball. I don't know why uh, Marcus Silva perseveres with him. I just don't see progress through that team. They ought to be gelling more with each passing week. They ought to be finding a system that suits them. And it it just looks meddlesome. And there's an element of doubt in the air when they play. And if I cared a lot about Everton, I'd be worried about that. Well, they do have a break from the Premier League this weekend. They host Lincoln City, the leaders of League Two in the FA Cup third round on Saturday. And of course, Danny Cowley's imps were quarter-finalists just two years ago. So the pressure could really mount if we see a shock at Goodison. By contrast, it was a very Merry Christmas for Leicester with three wins out of four, including victories over Chelsea and Manchester City. Leicester are currently in seventh, which last season was good enough for a Europa League place. So, Alan, do you fancy their chances of a seventh place finish? Um I think it's quite possible. Um, I know we discussed this briefly last week, where you know you, you never quite you're never quite sure what team to expect when Leicester turn up because they can be really really good, um, and they can also be quite awful. Um, you know, some some players don't seem to like Puel's system, but then at the same time he sort of dug in under when he was under pressure a couple of weeks back, and they've produced this really really impressive Christmas. The case now is if they can. If they can kick on, I know they've got a really, really difficult um, run of games towards the end of this month, where they think they play Liverpool, Man United, and Spurs. Then they've got a really easy run of games, and the final three games are Arsenal, City, and Chelsea. So if it's tight going into those final three matches of the season, I would fancy the other teams who are in in the uh, the run up against them. And I think looking at the table at the minute, despite their own inconsistencies, I would have it small guess that it could be Wolves who would finish 7th um, because their run of form against the the big teams has been excellent um, they've taken points off of all of the big 6 apart from Liverpool who they still have to play um, again later in the campaign um, which is you know obviously in wild contrast to what we'd said about Everton earlier on um, their issue is producing against the lesser sides which kind of you know suggests that they're more more than capable of of finishing in seventh position if they can kind of get their act together against those those teams near the bottom. You're comparing Everton and Leicester, aren't you? Mm. And you're wondering 
who might grab sevens. But what I think is interesting, if you compare Everton and Leicester, is Leicester, Leicester players have moaned about their manager and the fans have moaned about their manager and there's a sense that the system doesn't work. Nobody has come out in the ranks at Everton and complained about Marco Silva and yet when you watch both teams play, it is Leicester who, when they are actually playing the games, are playing with freedom freedom of expression, freedom of movement. They look like they're having fun. They look like they know what the system is, even if it's sometimes not one that plays to all the players' advantages. I mean, it's very peculiar that the team that's supposed to be uh, split in the camp is the one that plays with some joy. And the the team that's supposed to be uniting behind a young, promising manager is the one that looks disjointed. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Another side in need of some home comforts is Chelsea, who have failed to score in their last two matches at Stamford Bridge. Maurizio Sarri hinted he wanted a striker in January after the goalless draw with Southampton on Wednesday. This is what he actually said. Uh, we have to try to solve the problem of the last 15, 20 metres. The club knows very well my opinion. I think we need something different for characteristics. I'm not in charge of the market, but I have to try to improve my players, my team, my offensive phase, or better my offensive phase in the last 20 metres. Now, Alvaro Morata has failed to score in seven consecutive Premier League games. Alan, it must be pretty hard for Morata to not take those comments from Sari personally. Yeah, I think that last goal was in maybe early November. And since then, we've sort of seen Eden Hazard sort of playing up front a role that he doesn't particularly seem to, to like either. Although he has, you know, because Morata has been quite poor, Hazard has seemed more effective, even though he doesn't doesn't really really want to be there. Um, in terms of sorry, asking for for more more options up front, it, you know the Christian Pulisic signing this week will be, you know, the next season will be quite interesting to see how that works out because I think he's obviously a player who's not a, exactly kicked on at Dortmund this season, struggled to get into the team, but he will 
offers something different. In the middle of that quote from Sari, the most interesting thing is the fact he says he's not interested in the market, or not in charge of the market, rather, um, where he wasn't aware that Pulisic signing was going to go through until mm-hmm. something like 24 hours beforehand. Um, but he's gone to the club and he said, this is what I feel we, sh- we need. Um, Morata's long-term future, I don't think he really has one at Chelsea because he's had started quite well beginning of last season but then really really faded I remember he scored a hat-trick away to Stoke and he looked like you know Diego Costa had gone and it was sort of you know this guy is kind of not such a like for like replacement because he's very different players but you know as effective he's going to score a similar number of goals and, and that's it and then he just his form just completely fell off a cliff and this season he just hasn't been able to click whatsoever hmm. You mentioned that signing of, of Pulisic he of course signing from Borussia Dortmund being loaned back to the German club as well until the end of the season Alison many have talked about the young players like Callum Hudson and Odoi like Ruben Loftus-Cheek and once again they maybe push down the pecking order yeah, I know it's it's a strange one. It, we almost seem to be reaching the point where young players, <laughs> young British players, are valued more abroad than they are here. And and here we are, we value overseas players uh, more than we do the players you know well. It, it does seem very peculiar. It does seem really peculiar the disconnect at um, Chelsea that they can't quite. I mean, uh, Sarri has said all along, it's not. He he would really like to bring through young young British players that Chelsea own, but he finds that they're tactically not as astute as um, players brought up in overseas systems, and that's his uh, reasoning for keeping them on the fringes largely. Um, the problem with that is that Sarri Ball is so specific and so technical and tactical that you can't afford to experiment much. You sort of he knows what he knows is why he's so committed to Jorginho because that's a player who knows inside out what his system is and what's required of him and it's you can't sort of learn on the job. You you'll lose too many points and lose your job. So he's 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 actually although he said he doesn't know what's happening in the market, it's not his business to know. Um he's he's so conservative, I wouldn't think he'd be looking do anything other than replicate what he's already got there rather than trying to spend too long teaching what he's got but there is a lot that the younger players can give to a Chelsea team they they ignite the crowd which is often quite placid at Stamford Bridge and they really really love it when one of their own players comes on the pitch it really lifts them they have energy passion I think every club needs a connection with a player on the pitch so you know, the days of John Terry and Frank Lampard have gone. They need they need players they can identify with, and I think it's slightly short-sighted to be so technically oriented that you overlook those elements to chasey, physical, keen young players who've come through the Chelsea system and, and want to make it work there. And I just think it's a bit ironic they're they're signing an American via Dortmund when they've got at least 50 decent players come through their own academy. Without being really cynical, I do think the the fact that Pulisic is American, and I believe Chelsea are sort of investing in the American market in, in terms of expanding their sort of reach there, has an effect as well. Um, we look at the transfer fee and we kind of think, you know, this is massive money, but at the same time, in terms of sort of exposure in the US, and, you know, clubs pretty much go there every, every summer for the pre-season tour now, so, you know, they're going to recoup a lot of that money, you'd imagine, very quickly, because if they become sort of the Premier League's, you know, big team in the US. Mm, yeah, almost £60 million they will have spent on uh, Pulisic. As I was saying, he won't be 
coming to the club until the summer. But Chelsea are the FA Cup holders. They host Nottingham Forest on Saturday, a game that many believe will be Cesc Fabregas's last for Chelsea. He's believed to be joining his former Arsenal teammate Thierry Henry at Monaco. So, uh, Alison, if I start with you, a word from you on his career in English football. Yeah, you know, he's, he's graced it. Um, his passing ability is, is, is just lovely to behold. Um, I think his, the trademark memories I will have of him are those dinked, very beautifully weighted balls into the path of um, a striker and how the strikers always sort of known they're coming. They're, he, he has been able to build relationships through his time at Arsenal and Chelsea with, with players around him. He's completely unselfish. Um, and I do like players like that. You, you genuinely feel that he likes, he enjoys the creation of a goal rather than the scoring of it. I'm sort of slightly disappointed that doesn't seem to be room anymore for a Perlo type figure to to operate. You know, he's lost his, uh, he didn't have that much athleticism, I suppose. But I mean, it's it's almost like he's being put out to pasture because he obviously has so little time on the pitch now. I, I don't blame him for, for leaving but um, you sort of think there must be a way for someone who creates time, creates space, because they read the game so well to have just slightly longer in the Premier League. But yeah, no, he's, he's been a great, a great um, addition to to football in this country. Uh, he'll be missed. Alan, um, I was thinking earlier where I would rank him among sort of Premier League imports, and I think among Spanish players, I'd probably put him second behind David Silva. Um, the one thing with Fabregas that always kind of stands out for me is that because he arrived in England at quite a young age first, I always seem to think that he's a lot older than 31. Um, I mean, he was never really the you know the quickest player in terms of overall pace, um, and because of Jorginho at Chelsea, and you know he, Sarri's plan just centres around him. Opportunities have obviously been incredibly limited, so you know you can't blame him for wanting to move on. And at 31, he obviously feels that he's got a number of seasons still still to play. Okay, just time to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. Aside from the 2013-14 season, when Manchester City won the title and both teams scored 100 goals, Liverpool and City have only once finished as the top two in the table. That was in 1976-77. The question is, which member of Pep Guardiola's current backroom staff was City's leading goalscorer that season? The answer... Brian Kidd and he might just be involved in City and Liverpool finishing in the top two again this season that's a cracker from Bill that is it for now many thanks to our guests today Alison Rudd Alan Smith and Henry Winter remember you can subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times to enjoy award winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet it is just a pound a week for an eight week trial search the Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Monday as will Gab Marcotti to look back at the FA Cup and ahead to the Carabao Cup semi-finals. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.